Hello, I'm Peter Hockley, an evangelist at Oxford Bible Church, and I'm so glad you're joining us for today's program. I'm speaking to you just a few days before Easter, or what we prefer to call Resurrection Sunday. Now, you may be watching this program at some other time during the year, but as I sit here at this desk, it's just a few days before we rejoice and celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us 2,000 years ago on that Good Friday when he was nailed to the Roman cross to pay the price for our sins. Good Friday because it was followed by that Sunday like no other when the grave was opened, the tomb was unsealed and the stone was rolled away and it was known by those that followed him that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. It's my privilege to share with you today the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did for us that holy week 2,000 years ago. The message I'm going to share with you today is entitled All Things New and our text comes from Revelation chapter 21 beginning at verse 1. So if you've got your Bible do join me. Revelation 21 from verse 1 it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And these are the words that were recorded for us by the Apostle John, who, when he was a younger man, perhaps in his late teens or very early 20s, was a fisherman on the Lake of Galilee. He worked alongside his brother James under their father Zebedee, and ordinarily he would have lived his entire life fishing on that lake. But he met a man who transformed his life, Jesus of Nazareth, who called John and his brother and others to follow him as a fisher of men. And more than 60 years passed and all the other apostles had been martyred and only John remained, now probably in his 80s, exiled to the Greek island of Patmos, so far away from that lake where he once fished as an adolescent. And it was here that he received the visions that are recorded in the book of Revelation. And what was it that John saw? Well, he saw war and destruction. He saw famine and pestilence. He saw the earth overwhelmed with violence, with chaos and evil. He saw the slaughter of believers in Jesus Christ. But praise God, that's not the end of the story. Because as we read, John sees a new heaven and a new earth, a new world where there is no more sorrow, no more suffering or pain, where the words of Psalm 46 verse 9 are realized, 
which says he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Imagine it, no more guns, no more missiles or tanks, no more bloodshed, no more violence, no more conflict anywhere in the world. Truly peace on earth, literally heaven on earth, where even death itself is done away with. And God Almighty himself comes with all his majesty and all his splendor and all his glory to make his home with the human race. He announces that his dwelling place is with mankind from that time forth and forevermore. And from his throne, God declares, behold, I make all things new. And if there is anything that should encourage us today, it is those words. It is that promise from God. He wants us to hear it. But he says, behold, sit up, take notice, pay attention. Behold, I make all things new. Darkness will not have the final say. Despair will not have the last word. Tragedy will not be victorious. All the things that we see around us in the world, uh, calamity in nations, violence in society, these are not going to be the end of the story. Coronavirus will not outlast the Lord and his word. The uh, economic turmoil that may be happening all around us is not going to be where we end up. Whatever things have seemingly failed, whatever has fallen apart, whatever seems to be too far gone or impossibly, impossibly broken or irretrievably lost, God says, just watch what I do, for I can and I will, and nothing will prevent me from it. Behold, I make all things new. And I want us to consider today three very simple points. Number one, God made all things. Genesis chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created those things. It wasn't chance or an accident or a fluke. There was nothing random about the coming into existence of this universe. It was a deliberate act by an eternal, pre-existent, all-powerful God. John chapter 1 and verse 3 says, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. All things were made by him. There is nothing that exists that he did not bring into existence. Every blade of grass, every rock, every mountain, every drop of water, every living thing on the earth, from the smallest insect to you and me, none of it exists without him. And Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4 says, For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Yes, every structure we see around us was built by someone. Every statue was carved by human hands. Every painting came about by an artist's brush. But be careful there in taking the credit, O oh man, because all the materials that were used, the imagination necessary to conceive it, the skill that was required to accomplish it, all of that was given by God. Do you know that there is no discovery mankind ever made that the Lord did not know about first? There is nothing hidden no treasure of knowledge, no information uncovered that wasn't put there first by him for us to find. And of all that God created, of all that he has brought into this world, his crowning glory, his masterpiece, if you like, the cherry on top is you and I. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And verse 27 
of the same says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In his image, according to his likeness. That means more like him than anything else in existence. Able to know him and relate to him and have fellowship with him more than any other creature. Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14 say, For you formed my inward parts, that's the innermost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And the psalmist says, And that my soul knows very well. I wonder, do you know that? Does your soul know that? Have you ever thought about how every part of you is so wonderfully constructed? You are a harmony of flesh and muscle, tissue and bone, chemicals fizzing away all the while, and all the time uh, housing a soul, that immaterial, invisible spark of life that is bursting with emotion and thoughts and dreams and desires, desires for happiness, fulfillment, for friendship, for companionship, and above all else, for love. Yes, you are fearfully, astonishingly, wonderfully made. You're not evolved or the product of a random assortment of accidents that, as luck would have it, fell into place in our favor. No, you and I are forged and tenderly formed by the hands of Almighty God, who created us with a deliberate and loving care and blew into us the breath of life itself from his own spirit. And why did he do it? Why did God create this universe? Well, we read in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and, note this, for him. He did it for himself, not because he had to, not because he needed to, but purely because he wanted to, because he chose to. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says, For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. It was his will that you were here, my friend. No human being is a, a spare part. No one is surplus to requirements. No one is an afterthought. All of us have a uniqueness and a distinctiveness that was desired by God and brought forth by him. We are valuable. We have meaning because he has placed value and meaning upon us. It doesn't come from what we do or what we accomplish, but by virtue of the fact that we are made by God in his image and likeness. There's a reason for you. There's a purpose that you're here on this earth, but it can only ever be understood in the light of him who made you for himself. Yes, God made all things. And yet there is a problem, which brings us to the second point, that man corrupted all things. Yes, God made all things, but man corrupted all things. The scripture says in the book of Genesis that God saw all that he had made and declared that it was very good. And even though there is still much beauty in the world and so much that points to there being a, a divine creator, it's also evident that the world is not as it should be, that there is a breakdown, that there's a, a spanner in the, in the world and there is a fly in the soup of life. There's an infection that has infested this earth and poisoned it and made it less than the good that it originally was. As John Milton wrote some 350 years ago, paradise has been lost. And I shouldn't need to explain that any further. It is self-evident. The fact of it is clear 
You only need to have your eyes open and your ears open to know that this is true. But how can it be? And so many people have that question. If there is a God, why does so much evil exist in the world? Well, we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, which says, God saying, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. But then he goes on to say, let them have dominion. Let them have control. Let them have authority. God, as it were, gave us the keys to this earth on which we live. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The Lord gifted this world to us. He entrusted it to our care, but in very little to no time at all, we had broken the world and broken ourselves with it. The scripture we read in the beginning from Revelation says that God declares that his home, his dwelling place is with mankind. You know, that's not a decision that the father will reach in the future. It's not a desire that he will have someday. It was always supposed to be that way. Uh, God created us to be in fellowship and in real spiritual union with him. We are not made to exist apart from him and independently from our maker. But that's exactly what we've done. Man believed that satanic lie that we could go our own way and become our own God. And as is clear, it hasn't worked. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've gone astray like sheep. We've turned to our own way. And it says not only some of us, but all of us, everyone, we've torn ourselves from the source of life and light and goodness and brought upon us nothing but death and darkness and evil. This fall of man has devastated humanity at its core and all the problems that we see in society, both ours and every society that came before us. They are the result of our separation from God. They are the self-inflicted wounds of our rejection of our maker and all of our hate and all of our malice and prejudice and uh, all of our pride, all of our greed, all of our jealousy, all injustice, it comes from that rejection of God. And the further we drive God away, the deeper into the pit we go. Proverbs 3 and verse 17 describes the wisdom of God and his ways as being pleasantness and peace. Pleasantness and peace are found with God, but we would have none of it. We've abandoned him and tried to conjure up those things ourselves and we've failed miserably. And this is terrible news because God declares that he will by no means clear the guilty. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed once for man to die and after this the judgment. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 5 says they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Jeremiah 16, 17 says, for my eyes are on all their ways. This is what God says. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. Isaiah 3, 13, the prophet says the Lord stands up to plead, that is to contend, to make the case clear and known, and he stands to judge the people. What a predicament. God made all things and man corrupted all things and corrupted ourselves. And God will hold us to account. Every one of us will appear before his judgment seat. And I wonder if there is anyone 
watching this program today who is still away from God, still a stranger and separated from him, I tell you with love and with trembling, my friend, it will not go well with you if you remain in the place where you are. I don't want to spend any longer speaking on this subject and thank God that I don't have to, for that's not how the story has to end. For thirdly, our third point, yes, God made all things, man corrupted all things, but thirdly, God can and will make all things new. And thank God it says that God will make all things new and not that God will make all new things. You notice there's a difference. You see, God is very well within his right to take humanity as a whole, universally, and for our sins against him, screw us up like a piece of waste paper and throw us in his divine rubbish bin. He could have torn us apart for our sin and done away with us all as one. And as I say, it would be completely fair for God to do so. But here, what is written in Isaiah the prophet, 30, chapter 30 and verse 18, it says, Therefore the Lord will wait, that he may be gracious to you, and therefore he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Yes, what the Lord wants is to be gracious to you. He has mercy for you. And God doesn't want to sweep the broken pieces up and discard them in the bin. He can take them and he can make them whole again, despite the corruption, regardless of the damage, no matter the depths that we have fallen to, he can still say, behold, I make all things new. How is that possible? How can that be? By Jesus Christ and by the cross of Calvary, the same one who made all things in the beginning, the same God who made us in his image, took upon himself our image 2,000 years ago. He became flesh and blood and came and joined us in this world. And Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He joined us in this earth of his that we corrupted. And Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, his death on the cross was a demonstration of love because while he was there nailed to that tree, Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world, the sins of all mankind. He died for you and for me. He died for you, separated one, distant one, broken one, lost one, hurt one. He died for you. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We've uh, already read the words of Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah 53, which spoke of us like sheep going astray, every man to his own way. But it says the Lord laid on him, that's on Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Christ gave himself up for us. He offered his own life as a ransom for us on that cross. Our sins were placed on him and he was judged for our rebellion against the Father. The innocent judged for the guilty, the holy for the unholy, the righteous for the unrighteous. And he drank the cup of the wrath of God to the dregs, yes, to a death itself, because it was a dead man that they carried down from that cross. It was a lifeless body that they laid there in the tomb. But praise God, death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't maintain its grip. And on the third day, he rose again. And now he who lives, who was dead, 
is alive forevermore, and he holds in his hand the keys of death and Hades. He holds in his nail-scarred palm the power to forgive sins, to cleanse, to heal, to make whole the broken, to give new life and a new heart and a new start to those who come to him. He was broken for us that by his suffering for our sin, we can be forgiven and made whole again. And I'm sure that there are many who are watching this program today who could testify with an amen and who could say, yes, my life was in pieces, but that good Nazarene picked me up just as I was and put me together again. You know, in Japan, they have a tradition called kintsugi, whereby any kind of ceramic, any sort of plate or cup that falls to the ground and is broken is not thrown away as rubbish, but is rather lovingly and delicately put back together piece by piece with a mixture of glue and a glorious gold-colored paint that uh, the end result is you have these uh, restored whole again uh, cups and plates and ceramics which have these beautiful lines of gold running through them. And they are considered to be of great honor and great value and in a sense even more uh, valuable than they were before they were broken. That wholeness, that restoration that is so lovingly done with those lines of gold signifies their value. And Jesus Christ is able to do that in a, such a wonderful way for all those who come to him. Uh, he is the master of Kintsugi and is able to do that miraculous work of golden repair, not with something as simple as a piece of ceramic, but with something even more precious and more delicate, a human heart and a human life. God is not afraid of brokenness. He, he's not uh, someone who shies away from it. He is not intimidated by it. He's not cowed or curtailed by the, the things that go on around us, some of the catastrophic moments of life in the world. There is nothing that the cross cannot fix. There is nothing that Jesus cannot put back together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yes, when we are in Christ, when we surrender to him, all things become new. All of life is transformed and made new. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 say, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And the 13th verse of that chapter says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what does it mean? that God will save us. It means that God will repair us. God can repair you, my friend. The broken pieces of your life made whole, the damage done by years of waste and neglect, the harm that others have done to you, self-harm, the wounds of the past, God is able to bind them up because Jesus is the one who binds up the brokenhearted. But God will not only repair you, my friend, God will restore you, restore you to a right relationship with him as it always was supposed to be. Pleasantness and peace, as we mentioned, is found with God, and these can be yours if you'll come to Him in the name of Jesus. 
even hope for the future. Yes, hope, even in this bleak and uncertain world that we find ourselves in now, these uncertain times that we live in today, there is hope in the future that is found in Jesus. And God, he will restore us by forgiving all of our sins, cleansing us of all iniquity that we've done against him and giving us a new life. But thirdly, God not only will repair and restore, he will rename us, give us a new identity, a new start, a new life, no longer known as dead, but alive, no longer lost, but found, no longer empty, but filled, no longer crushed down, but lifted up, no longer broken, but whole, no longer a stranger to God, but a son, a daughter, a child of his. And as he makes his home in your heart, so he prepares your eternal home with him in heaven forever. So in the time that we have left, I want those of you who are listening to weigh very carefully what I've said today. And if what I've laid out is true, it is imperative that you respond. In the very beginning, we read in Revelation chapter 21 how God said that I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And that is what is necessary, that you thirst. God will give the water of life, the water of forgiveness, the water of restoration, the water of hope to those who thirsts. Your highest need is not to uh, go about doing a whole list of religious rituals and obeying religious rules. What you really need is not more money in your bank account. Of course, that's wonderful and lovely and it will help, but it won't be enough for what you need in your heart. What you need is not simply better education, um, which can carry you very far in this world, but not enough to carry you into the next world. No, what you need is thirst, that awareness of your need for Jesus, that awareness, that spiritual thirst for Christ. And if you will come to him and uh, call on his name, then he'll receive you because he's the one who says, behold, I make all things new. Four Nights with the Devil, a true story of deliverance from evil, is my testimony of how back in 2002, as a young man on a spiritual journey, looking for answers and spiritual truth, I found myself involved heavily in the occult and engaging in occult practices, troubled and tormented by demons, until calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he rescued me and set me free. This book is available on Amazon or everywhere in the world as a paperback. It's also available as a Kindle download. I want to encourage you to get this book as an encouragement in your faith that Jesus is Lord over all devils and demons. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the vision of this ministry is really to, to spread the in-depth teaching of the word of God as far and wide as possible. And we are so grateful for those who, who have helped us in this way. Thank you so much for all your help. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, ox 37 qh You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products. 
where you can also support our programmes at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.